that word actually isn't in the Bible. Well, it's in the King James. But the King James Greek for Easter is actually Passover. The Passover was the time of the year when Christ came to his passion. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Christ has become the Passover lamb for us. And it was on Friday that Jesus Christ finished his work for us in living a perfect life and dying a sacrificial death for all of our sins. It was on Sabbath, this day, when Jesus Christ rested in the tomb. And that's why we're here today. We're here today because we are commemorating the rest that Jesus Christ exemplified for us from all the work that he did to save us. In other words, we're resting in his finished work. That's why we're here today. We're resting in the finished work of Jesus. And then, of course, he didn't stay in the tomb, did he? No, he was resurrected gloriously resurrected early on the first day of the week. And so this is that special time of the year when I was raised, I was raised Catholic, I was a, uh, an altar boy, I was raised a Roman Catholic in England where my mother still lives to this day and, and my sister and, and, and her kids. When I was raised, we kind of strayed away from our Catholic faith when we came to the, to the States, but we would always go to church on Christmas and Easter. Those were the two special occasions well, we always went to church. So in a sense, this is a special time for most of the world. I've got friends, a good friend that lives in Spokane, who we talk about Christ, and he reminds me, you know, hey, have a good Easter, and let's get together, let's talk uh, Sunday if we can. And I, I look forward to, to talking with him and sharing with him on spiritual matters. Um, we go way back to when I was 14 years of age, and so we're good friends from a long time ago. Christ came to set us free. That's what we've been talking about in the book of Galatians. Christ came to set us free. What did he come to set us free from? Well, he came to set us free from the guilt and condemnation of the law. You know the law condemns us to death. Sin is transgression of the law, and all of sin comes short of the glory of God. So, so the law convicts us that we are sinners, and therefore we deserve nothing but death. Christ came to set us free from that. He also came to set us free from legalism, that is, using the law as a means to somehow attain to our salvation. Trying to get everything figured out so that we can actually accomplish what Jesus Christ himself has accomplished for us. And, of course, he came to set us free from the ultimate consequence of sin, and that is eternal separation from God. He came to set us free. And that's what we've been focusing on, that's what we've been talking about. Our last study was primarily focused on this freedom in Galatians 5, 13 to 15. And we learned there that this freedom doesn't give us a license to sin, but actually it gives us freedom to live for Jesus as we've never done before. That's the purpose of this freedom. So when we appreciate God's salvation, it sets us free to live a life for God. Now we're not saved by living a life for God. That's the fruit of salvation. We're saved by Jesus, but that compels us to live for him. So this morning we're going to be looking at 
Galatians 5, 16, all the way to 26. We're not going to look at every verse, but we're going to be trying to understand what this Christian experience looks like. Because sometimes, you know, we kind of struggle along in this experience and we're thinking, is this the way it's supposed to be? Like it's supposed to be a struggle? Is a battle, a, a conflict taking place here? So Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, 16 and onward, is going to explain to us what the Christian experience actually looks like so that we can not be surprised by some of the things that we encounter as we take this journey together. Let's just pause for a moment and ask for the Holy Spirit to be here with us as we get into our study. Father in heaven, thank you this morning for this opportunity just again to jump into your word. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit because you promised that you will send that gift to teach and instruct us. And we ask for the infilling of your Spirit because we need the comfort that the Spirit brings to us. We've had a rough week. We've gone through trials in life and experiences, and we just need you to bathe us, to soothe us with your goodness and your kindness, which comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit to infill us. And so we surrender our hearts and this time to you again right now and ask that you would please speak to us. Draw us heavenward. Be with our children, our little ones. Draw their minds and hearts to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, how does the Christian experience work? Well, we need to examine, first of all, what takes place, what we call conversion. Conversion is that experience where something changes as we accept Christ as our Savior. The old English Bible calls this conversion uh, repentance, which means taking a U-turn, turning in a different direction than the direction we were going in. And so what happens is the mind, the heart, is going in a certain direction. And when we go through conversion and repentance, it turns and it starts going in another direction. Completely opposite the direction it was going in. Now, even though that takes place in the mind, we need to remember that it doesn't take place in the flesh. (laughs) The sinful nature keeps on going that way. And it kind of wonders why. We're turning around and going the other way. Hey, 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 wait a minute. We were going over here. Where are you going? And there seems to be a division taking place between the mind and the heart that's been renewed by God and the flesh and the human nature that wants to keep going in the same direction. So um, what takes place now is a little bit of a conflict. Now, Paul talks about this this whole idea, in a sense, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, he describes the way it used to be. He says, in Ephesians 2, verse 3, all of us also lived among them, that is, among the world at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature children of wrath. So we were following the cravings of our flesh and our desires and our thoughts, that's our mind and our heart, we're also going in that same direction. That's the way we were. When God comes into our hearts, our minds, our hearts change. Whew, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm actually thinking that's kind of miserable. <laughs> I don't really like that. And so it says I'm going to go in a different direction. But the flesh, it's kind of, well in conflict with that naturally. 
its natural tendency is just to keep doing the same thing. I don't know if you've noticed that. It just, it just wants to keep doing the same thing. And so we have a conflict that's taking place now, and Paul is describing this conflict. See, when we're born again, Paul tells us that there's this total contradiction between the flesh, which is unchangeable, and the mind, which is just made a U-turn. And at, at conversion, we experience what is known as this regeneration, this new birth of the mind and the heart. So this change of mind, this new birth, brings about this tension between the converted mind and the unchanged flesh, which is still part of our being. And, and Paul then goes on to graphically explain the struggle between the two, the converted mind and the unconverted flesh in Galatians 5. But here's our question. Can we, as Christians, overcome the flesh? Do we have to live with this frustrating tension between the converted mind that desires to do good and fulfill the will of God and the unchangeable flesh that desires to sin? I mean, this could be a frustrating experience when you think about it. There are many Christians who and I don't know, I have myself questioned their conversion. Am I really converted? Because it seems like I want to keep doing these things over here, and they face turmoil. But the fact is that the believer has two natures. The believer has two natures. These two natures are at war with each other, and they will continue to be at war with each other until our dying day. Now that could be bad news, but let's get to the good news, okay? A believer still has a sinful nature in which they were born, but because of the new birth experience, the regeneration, the believer also has become a partaker of the divine nature. And these two natures, the divine nature and the sinful nature, the the flesh and the spirit are warring with each other. They're at constant war with each other. Hence, the tension between, listen closely, the flesh and the spirit is in reality a good sign. Because it tells you that you've been converted. (laughs) That's what it tells you. I know it seems negative, but it's actually a good thing. Because it's telling you, you know what? You're converted. (laughs) If you just kept walking in this direction of your flesh and doing everything your flesh wanted to do and indulging your flesh just like the world does, nothing has changed in your mind or heart. The fact that you want to go in a different direction than what your flesh wants to do is evidence that the Spirit of God is working on you. Something is changing in your life. And this conversion experience isn't just a one-time thing. It's an everyday occurrence that takes place. I remember the first time it happened with me. I mean, I remember a time when it happened with me. I was in a house with my friends, my roommates, and we were all partying. And there was a car outside. It was Spokane. There was a slight hill in front of our house. And it was snowing. And the car outside couldn't get up the hill. The the wheels were spinning in the snow. And we were all at the window laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Look at that car. It can't get up the hill. And I remember... Now I would say the Spirit was working on my mind and my heart. And I said, hey guys, we shouldn't be laughing at them. Let's go out and help them. And all my friends looked at me like I was from Mars. What in the world? And 
they actually went out there. A few of them went out there with me and helped them. And we got all this slush and snow and dirt all over us, you know, because the tires are spinning. It's all coming. We're in the back of the car moving. And when we got that car up that little incline and it got going and the people thanked us, there was something in my heart that was different. And I realized in that moment, this is what I was made for. I was made for this. This is fulfillment. This feels good. I feel like this is my purpose in life, is is to help people and to give to people and to think of others that are in trouble and to reach out to them. I was going through a conversion experience. Things were changing. Now, my flesh didn't like that. My flesh just wanted to continue on in the same way of life. But that doesn't answer the question. Remember the question we asked. The question was, can this sinful flesh, which contradicts the desires of the converted mind, be subdued and conquered? That was the question we asked. Let's look for an answer in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is where we need to go for answers. We can't think, well, my experience is, well, I think, well, my opinion is, well, the, the, the theological seminar told me, well, I listened to Pastor so-and-so, and they said, no, what does the Word of God say? Because there's power in the words. We can trust the Word of God. We can believe the Word of God. So, here it is. These are our verses today. We're going to read Galatians 5, verse 17. Here it is. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That's kind of a summary of everything we've talked about so far, right? This the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And then the conclusion that we've come to is, you do not do the things that you wish. You say, well, how does that answer the question? I mean, it sounds like it's saying we can't. Well, hold on just a second. Let's keep going here. Because you notice the first part of this verse. The first part of this verse says that what we do, because the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit, is different than what our mind wants to do. And we know this is true. We do. Deep down in our own hearts, we know how sinful we are. We know how selfish we are. We know that no matter how much information comes into this brain of ours, we keep doing the things that we don't want to do. We keep living according to the flesh. We know that from experience. I mean, I recognize this every time I look in the mirror. I see the enemy sitting right on my shoulders. There he is right there. There's the guy that doesn't want to be kind to his wife or kind to his kids or kind to his neighbors. There's the guy that wants to be selfish and self-focused. There he is, right there, every single time I look in the mirror. So our greatest enemy is right there. We are naturally destitute of the virtues of heaven. Anyone disagree with that? But the verse also indicates, I don't know if you caught this, that the Spirit lusts against the flesh. Hallelujah, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Did you hear that? The Spirit, let's read it again. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Get out. (laughs) Did you hear that verse? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's what the Word of God is saying to us this morning. 
and it's powerful. Now, I can hear somebody say, and maybe it's my own voice, but I've been walking in the Spirit, and I'm still getting beat up. (laughs) I'm still getting beat up. Well, first of all, and I want to say this carefully, but I do want to say it because I need to say it. As your pastor, I need to say this. Are you sure that you're walking in the Spirit? Are you sure that you're letting the Spirit in? Now, let's just examine our own hearts, not anyone else around us, in front of us, behind us. Let's just examine our own hearts, and I'll, I'll let you examine mine, but you can all examine yours. Are we sure that we're not letting too much media into our lives or idle gossip into our lives or spending our time in a judgmental attitude? Are we sure that we're opening the heart to the Spirit of God and not everything else that would quench the Spirit of God. Because it's what we feed upon that nurtures us. It's what we feed upon, and when we feed upon the Word of God, a transformation takes place. We're told that we're born again by the Word of God, that things change. You know how words are. They're so powerful. I mean, people can just say words to you, and you're like, did you hear? Did you hear that? Did you hear about... The media has that power, doesn't it? They try to tell us who's going to be elected before they're elected, and we almost believe it. (laughs) They try to tell us all kinds of things. How much more does the Word of God have, have that power? But wait a minute now. Don't get discouraged because we're still in the fight. Even though we may feel overwhelmed by the selfishness of our own hearts, we're still in the fight. We're still standing. We have a spirit, it says, that is warring against the flesh. It's pulling us. It's convicting us. It's comforting us. It is helping us. I want you to look at this word lust. It's really interesting. The word lust here in verse 17 traces back to the word for passion, and it means to slay. The spirit passionately slays the flesh. That's why I said get out. That's just amazing to me. Because, see, we can't do that. We're not inclined to do that. As soon as we wake up in the morning, we're like, flesh, flesh, flesh. And we need to say, Holy Spirit, come into my heart. And all of a sudden, the flesh is starting to be slain by the Spirit, just tearing it up, just cutting it to pieces. I, I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed that in my life. It happens again and again and again. I'll tell you how it happens here in a minute. But this literally reads that the flesh slays the spirit and that the spirit slays the flesh. So again, the worldly mind man kills the spiritual man, but the, and this is huge, the spirit kills the worldly man. The, worldly man. the spirit does that. We can't do that, but the spirit does that. So that's why when you become spiritual, you change. Have you noticed that? You change. I mean, your thoughts change, your words change, your actions change, everything changes. You start doing things differently. You start thinking differently about money. You start thinking differently about life. You start thinking differently about kids. You start thinking differently about your neighbors. You start thinking differently about everything. You just start changing. That's an evidence the Spirit is working in your life and in your heart. Yeah, you still are confronted with those, those self, that selfishness, and God allows a little bit of that to be dealt with at a time. If he revealed the whole thing to us at one time, we'd just fall over dead. It'd be too much for us to see how selfish we are. I prayed one year, I prayed that God would show me more of myself, and it just about was the end of me. Because I'm so full of it. We all are. 
But we have this hope in the Savior named Jesus Christ who lived and died for us that we might live for him and get rid of this lust of the flesh, have it out of us. So the Spirit of God changes us. That's why we act differently, we talk differently, we walk differently, we speak differently. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do. So Paul then identifies the acts of the flesh. He says the acts of the flesh are like uh, obvious. I'm reading a, uh, a newer translation here. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, those who, listen closely, live like this are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I want us to emphasize that phrase, live like this. Because we're going to have to face the fact that there are times when we fall flat on our face. Happened to me recently. I came home the other day and I flew into a fit of rage. My family were the recipients of that. And I was immediately, immediately convicted and overwhelmed with guilt and remorse. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to slay the flesh. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, Hey, what you just did was wrong, it was bad. You never should have done that. And the grace of God was there to forgive and to lead me to repentance and confession. That's what happened. That was the whole process. And it's a hard process sometimes, especially when you have been a Christian for many years, when you're a pastor, when you're in ministry, and you fall flat on your face before your family. But, and here's the point, that fit of rage doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define me. I do not live in fits of rage. I live in the grace of God. Failure is an event. It's not a person. You are not a failure. Failure is an event. It's something that happens, but it's not who you are. You are a person redeemed by the blood of Christ. You are a person Embraced by the grace of heaven. And any time you come to that place where you're confronted with the reality of your sinful fallen flesh and it's manifested, you just give it to God. And the sooner the better because God never purposed that you would carry that guilt beyond the cross. He never purposed that you would take that guilt beyond the cross. Just give it to him. You can't bear it. It'll crush crush out your life. So I gave it to God. And because I gave it to God, I can tell you about it this morning. It would be really embarrassing to tell you this if I didn't have a Savior. (laughs) It would really be embarrassing to tell you that I flew into a fit of rage in front of my my wife and my daughter and my dogs and my cat. Jail doesn't live with us anymore. Our son's down in California in a safe distance away. It would be really embarrassing to tell you all of that if I thought that defined me. If I thought you would look at me and say, that's who James is. No, that's not who I am. 
that's my flesh. That's my carnal nature. All of us have one. I don't know how yours is manifested when it gets loose. But I do know this, that if the Holy Spirit can slay my carnal nature, the Holy Spirit can slay your carnal nature. If the Holy Spirit can lead you to repentance, the Holy Spirit can lead me to repentance. He can lead you to repentance. If the Holy Spirit can take care of me, the Holy Spirit can take care of you. And that's exactly what Paul's message is for us today. He's telling us that we can have this life that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So he goes on to say the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. That's what I got. I got got love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited and provoke one another and envy one another. See, God gives us Spirit when we recognize that we're total sinners. We're absolutely bankrupt. We're sinners to the core. And God says, okay, I've got a solution. I know you've been trying to overcome and and live a good life and be a different person, but but you fail over and over again, so I've got a solution. I'm going to actually give you, I'm going to impart to you, I'm going to give you my spirit. And that spirit is going to slay your flesh. Just watch and see it. Well, how do I get the spirit? Well, pray for it. The spirit comes to you through prayer. and, And read God's word because the spirit authored the word. The word has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And listen to what God tells you in his word. And allow yourself to believe in the impartation of the spirit when you pray. That's what the disciples did. They prayed. They said, Lord, send us your spirit. We're ugly. We're selfish. We're argumentative. We want to be the greatest. We want, we want number one place. Send us your spirit. Forgive us for our sins. And all that stuff goes out. All the gooky stuff goes out. And then there's this big uh, empty space in your heart and mind. And God says, I'd like to fill that with my spirit. And we say, yes. And in comes the spirit flowing into us. And then out of us, it goes to the world. And we tell people about how, how we messed up and what failures we were and how we are weak and how we're inconsistent. And yet God is working through us and God is working in us and God has forgiven us. And other people take hope and they take courage. We don't go to people and tell them, hey, we're perfect. We go to a perfect church and they believe all the perfect doctrines of the perfect Bible and we follow the perfect God. And if you want to be perfect, uh, we'll give you six weeks to get your life together. You can come to a seminar that we're doing. You can learn all the things that say that you're perfect and then you can join our church. No, we say to people, hey, we're messed up. We're humans. We fail. We've fallen short over and over again. And we got a place where we find messages of hope and comfort and direction in life and ways that you can actually get better and be healed and find strength and courage. And we encourage one another and we're family. And that's what we do at this church. We just, we're just a band of broken brothers and sisters and kids who are just trying to help one another through the Holy Spirit, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're not here to judge and criticize. We're here to lift one another up and share how God is working in our lives and what he's doing for us and what we believe he can do for you because we're no different than you and no better than you. So God gives us a spirit when we recognize we're sinners, 100% sinners, not 99.9%. We're not better. We're not a little bit better. We're not a whole lot better. We're completely bankrupt of goodness and righteousness. All of us are. And when we recognize that, it's like, yes, they're ready. 
Now they're ready to help everyone else who's completely bankrupt of goodness and righteousness. And I can send people to this place and they can find among them help and encouragement rather than criticism and judgmentalism. I can send people there and they'll be safe to heal the brokenhearted. And we we do this by faith. We accept the gift of Jesus Christ as our righteousness. And that means that everything that he did in his life, he did for us. He never sinned. He never lied. He never stole. He never cheated. He never thought an immoral thought. And he did that for us. That's who he was in heaven. He didn't have to come here and do that for him. He did it for us because we don't have that and we needed that because in heaven, that's what you have to have. And so he said, well, I'm going to do that for you because I know you can't do it for yourselves. There's no way you can do it for yourselves. You're fallen and once you're fallen, your whole center is just selfish. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to this earth. I'm going to take on who you are, but I'm not going to live the way you live. I'm going to live righteousness, perfect righteousness. So he came and he lived in our humanity with a life that was always submitted to God. His will was always surrendered to God. And he lived the perfect life. And then on Friday when he died, he died for all of our failures and mistakes. He took care of the whole thing. And then he rested in the tomb, resurrected, first day of the week, early in the morning, went to heaven. He said, now, Father, if this is acceptable to you, everything that I have, everything that I lived and everything that I sacrificed for is for them. And every single person that prays to me, anytime they accept me, I just want to give them my whole life and on my death as a gift. That's the picture of salvation. And when we see that, we say, whoa, I want to live for him who died for me. And that's what salvation produces. And if you mess that up at all, the, the, the fruit of salvation won't be produced. If you think that you've got to earn your salvation, then what's the use in the fruit? You're earning it yourself. You don't need to... But if you allow Christ to be all of that, then you want to live for him because you know you are free now from all that guilt, all that condemnation, and all that pressure to try to earn something. You are free now, free people, free men and women in Jesus Christ. And it's the Spirit that gives us that freedom. Our closing thought here is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Now, we'll read 17 and 18. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, anyone know the word? Freedom, liberty. There's liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, faces, beholding, contemplating the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's a law of our spiritual nature that by beholding we become changed. There's a book called Great Controversy, and if you read page 555, 555, you're going to read about this law that's based on St. Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse 8. It's a law of our spiritual nature that by beholding we become changed. Have you noticed that? I've noticed it in my life. When I, when I spend a lot of time looking at something or hanging out with someone, I start to be changed into that which I behold. I start talking a certain way. That's why when I was a kid, I had a British accent. I could talk, Cockney, or anything that was British. 
because I lived in England. And all the people around me had this funny way of talking. And I just naturally picked it up. (laughs) When I came to America, it started changing. I started talking American. I stopped saying yes and started saying yeah. (laughs) Because I was around all these Americans. And I just naturally tended to change. So that's what Paul is speaking about in the context of the spirit in the flesh. As we behold things that are fleshly, we become changed into that likeness. As we behold things that are spiritual, we become changed in that likeness. It's a law of our physical and spiritual nature. And what God is calling us to, what Paul is calling us to today, is to give ourselves to the spiritual. And what you find when you give yourselves to the spiritual is you get nurtured by that spiritual and you become strong spiritually and you find that your flesh is completely cut off almost from affecting your decisions that you want to make for God. The stronger you get, the less you feel the flesh. Now, at first, it's kind of challenging. Like when Jeff and Julie first got here, they're marathoners and they do a lot of, you know, running and what is that? Uh, Iron Man type stuff. Swimming, running, biking, swimming, running, biking, swimming, running, biking. I know they don't mind me picking on them. I'm like, man, I can't even keep up with you guys because I was, I'm, I was, you know, twice their age, basically. Let's see. Yeah, twice their age. And, um, and almost, and, and I was suffering some injuries from old age, but they motivated me to start exercising more and more and more. And I remember at the beginning of this year now, they've been here for a year, so they've really got me going here. Beginning of this year, 2018, I thought, hmm, 2018, 365 divided into two, that's 5.5 miles. I'm going to start walking 5.5 miles every day. Got a little Fitbit, you know, put it in my pocket. And I found myself walking in order to keep up with Jeff and Julie at times when I don't normally be sitting. Like, I'll just walk around in my office when I'm taking a call, or I'll walk around in my office when I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, whenever chance I get. Even when I'm preaching sometimes, I'll walk a little bit to get my steps in, you know? (laughs) Right? But what I found is 5.5, which was this amazing, like, 5.5, that's going to be so hard. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's nothing now. And this is just, what, January, February, March? This is just three months in. I thought, I'll never get the 5.5. Now it's like, oh... Seven miles a day, eight miles a day. I don't know what, what I'm at right now, but it's, it was, my, my goal was 30, 38 miles, 38.5 miles a week, and now I'm like at 50 miles a week. And it's not hard, because the more shape, the better shape you get in, the easier it gets. And it's the same with our spiritual life. It, it was hard at first, and I got sore, and it was difficult, but the better shape we get in spiritually, the easier it gets. And the flesh becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. It's like, wow, where is that old man? Anyway, don't, you don't want to say that because he'll pop up if you say that. Just, just say, yeah, okay, good. God is good. God is good. And he is good, isn't he? The most important thing is, though, that we remember. Failure does not define us. It's an event. It's not a person. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you this morning because you are so good to give us your spirit. Jesus came to this world, and that was an incredible gift. But then when he left, your spirit came to replace him so that all of us 
could have access to that one same spirit. And that spirit could come into our hearts and slay the flesh. And that's what we're asking for this morning, that you would come into our hearts, that you would, that you would send your spirit to, to draw us heavenward, to draw us into spiritual realities, to cause us to behold you, to be transformed day by day, moment by moment, to become stronger and stronger and stronger in our experience, in our faith. Do this for us, we pray, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.